At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to tune into our current series, Assembly Required, Building a Case for Church, where we'll see what the Psalms teach us about a life of faith lived in community. We've been in a four-week series called Assembly Required. And in this series, and really as a hint to the series we're going to begin next week, we've been looking at the, the most important practices of a church family. Specifically, our Sunday gathering, and then in the series to come, really more focus on our life group environments. The fact that the church is called to come together and worship. And if you grew up going to church every weekend with your family, maybe this is a ritual, a habit, a tradition that you haven't thought a whole lot about. It just was a part of your weekly existence. But if you only came to faith later in life or more recently got to experience Jesus as your rescuer and leader, maybe attending church has only been something that you've been introduced to midway through life. And it's been something you've been able to learn is a cherished tradition for the church that's extended beyond 2,000 years. But why do we do it? Why do we get together? Like so many of our habits, we can assume what its value is. Maybe we lose track of why we do it in the first place. Like eating a meal, you know, it's just something you do every day at noon. You've got to eat lunch for some reason. And if your, your stomach tells you it's time, that's one thing. If you just do it because it's ritual, that's another. And before too long, we suddenly realize we're, we're forgetting why we did this in the first place. Maybe that shows up because we start eating food that fuels our, our emotions rather than our bodies, right? Uh, and and before long, we've lost track of why we ate a meal in the first place. Or, or maybe the habit is taking a shower every day. And uh, that's, an important, uh, that's an important habit you should start building, um, <laughs> if you haven't already. And, and you may not think twice about it. It's just a part of your wake-up or your wind-down routine every day. But certainly, someone would be kind enough to let you know, if you fell out of the habit, why it matters right? That would be an awkward conversation, but a loving one, all the same. We can all be praying for our student director, Nick Stales, as he sometimes probably has to do that in the, the student ministry environments. Uh, in this series, we're trying to remember the purpose for our gatherings. Why do we do this? Why do we gather on Sundays? We have a rich theological and biblical resource to look at in the book of psalms where many different artists cry out to god in dynamic and authentic ways and it kind of teaches us about who god is and who we are and how we relate to him now admittedly the book of psalms all of these works of art were composed before the church began at pentecost a, a lot changed between then and when the church started but God didn't change. His love for his people didn't change. And the very roots of why he called his church to gather are found in so many of these pieces of literature. So together, we're going to be learning from an inspired artistry that we must make it a priority to worship together. Assembly is required. You know, just this last week, uh, I, I had the opportunity to get away with my family to my parents' house. 
Um, we were able to do that safely, which is an achievement just with our children, much less a pandemic. And um, we were able to get away to their place there in northern Ohio. And one of the things we did as we're trying to entertain ourselves and there's limited options, um, someone thought it was a great idea. We were going to buy some kites and assemble them and go fly them. And, and, you know, you bought this kite that costs less than you know it should, and you take it down to the shoreline where there's more wind, and uh, you put it together. There's this, you know, piece of plastic that's a sheet, and then you have to assemble these plastic poles together, and then you stick it all in place, and you attach it to a string, and that's where the illustration falls apart because it still doesn't work, right? No matter what you do, I don't know if you've ever flown a kite before, uh, I, no doubt for you, like for me, it's resulted in a horrible experience where both you and your child were crying uh, by the end of it and uh, being angry at whosever idea this was in the first place. Uh, but unlike a kite, or maybe more like a kite than we like to admit, that's what the church was called to be, uh, an organization that works because it came together, because different spiritual gifts were assembled and with the wind of the Holy Spirit to empower it, it could function. Maybe like a kite experience too often, we've not assembled ourselves, or we've done it incorrectly, or we've done it in an idolatrous way where the Holy Spirit wasn't pleased to move. And many seasons of, I think, the church's history has borne fruit that the church wasn't the church at least the way God intended it to be. We don't want that to be our story. We don't want this kite experiment, this assembly to result in failure. And, and so we want to look at why we're called to gather. Our assembly is required, and over the last three weeks, we've looked at these three reasons. We've seen that we gather to delight in God's word. We looked at the fact that we are called together to confess our sins. And in that confession, we're able to experience the joy and reconciliation that God's people can truly experience. We gather together to sing God's praise. We're thankful talent wasn't required in order to be obedient to this. Um, because unlike many of the people on the stage, you might be like me. And we still get to do that together. Our assemblies required. And today we're going to enjoy Psalm 40. And I'll give you a, a preview. What we're going to learn ultimately is that we gather our assemblies required to testify to God's deliverance. We gather to testify to God's deliverance. And I'm just going to hone in on verse 9 right in the center of the psalm right away to see that that is true. The, the psalmist David writes, I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. It's not a secret. He says, I have spoken of your faithfulness and salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. David loved to love God and to talk about his love for God. Whether it was a big crowd, maybe, on a Sabbath gathering there in his Hebrew context, or a smaller congregation in the morning for a prayer, or at, at his court in his place of rule, David loved to talk about God's deliverance. Big crowds, 
pandemic levels of attendance, whichever it was, it didn't matter to him. And we would do well to imitate his practice. We're ultimately called to imitate his practice. We gather to testify to God's deliverance. But just so we're clear, the, the word testify, I don't think is a word we use all that often. So, so let's talk about what it means. It, really what I'm talking about here is our presence, our voice, the words we say, our, our story, our life up to this point, our, our actions, everything we'll do into the future. They all communicate something, don't they? Our voice, our story, our actions are, are all communicating something, just being somewhere. Communicate something. That's why Amazon and Walmart are fighting over your presence at their website or store. Because it will mean something to them. That's why big brands want you to wear their product. Our actions, our presence, our voice testifies something. And in our church context, as we gather together, what specifically then we get to see is that when we gather for worship well... We're demonstrating that God is our powerful leader. That's what we get to do as we testify. When we gather for worship well, looking at all the things that we're called to do as we gather, delighting in God's word, confessing our sin, praising him with our singing, when we worship gathered, we're demonstrating that God is our powerful leader. And I love that we get to testify to his deliverance. In fact, as we worshiped him from our homes during the weeks of coronavirus when everything was shut down, as we experimented as a church with new and different live streaming techniques, and as we engaged as a church family, this was one of the more difficult habits of our church to use in that season. We, it was a little bit more natural to be able to delight in God's word still together. As thousands streamed a service from God's word, we could delight in that together. That, that habit felt similar. It was, a, it was pretty easy still, I think, to praise God. In fact, you didn't have to be heard. So maybe we should learn something from that experiment, right? There is something positive to be learned. But this habit of testifying to God's deliverance by our presence and story and words, that, how did you do that in that season? That, that was a harder shift to make. In my role, I got to monitor our online services, our Facebook Live commenting. That can be an adventure. But something I learned and I loved was that so many of you leveraged that season and made the pivot to still be able to testify to God's deliverance in your life. Even when we were gathered in a very unique and admittedly subpar manner. Even some people who are streaming online right now, they're, they're able to comment and, and speak their amens and their life stories and their uh, admissions that they too believe this and they have seen this in their life and they're able to greet each other and by just the little digit of I'm watching this right now the little metric of how many views it's had, they're able to contribute to say, I testify that I have experienced this God. He is good. So God calls us to offer and deserves an expansive testimony. And the author of Psalm 40 here, David, 
illustrates that for us. Let's look at the very beginning of the psalm in verse 1. He paints a picture of his life at the moment. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction and out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Look at how the, the psalmist writes about his life struggle right here. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. I waited and I waited and I waited and waited. I was in dire straits. He uses powerful imagery of, of a swamp, of, of being stuck, of wasting away, of feeling like there is no way out. Probably death would be better than what I'm having to go through right now. And many, if not all of us, have experienced something like that. Where life is so hard, we don't see how we're going to get through this. Because of current events or a lifetime of hurt. We can resonate with David saying, God, I've been waiting. And I love and I'm encouraged that our testimony, our testifying to God's deliverance, isn't dependent on us having a good day or a good season or a good year. We don't need a strong faith to give credit to a strong God. We don't need a good life to give credit to a good God. Psalmist David admits, right now my life is a mess. I'm talking to you, God. He says, you're my rock. You, you put my feet somewhere short. And other people are able to benefit from that. Others will be able to trust in you, God, as well. You and I are direct fulfillment of this truth. Just being able to read his words and follow his example of faith today. God taught this David to testify to his work in his life. And we should follow that example. We should testify that God is our rock. We can testify that God is our deliverer, our rock. David uses the imagery of stone, something that we can count on, that God is our rock. And we can learn that we can trust him even in that waiting. Because, yes, while we're waiting, we're vulnerable, but in the waiting, we're also malleable. God can work in our lives and our hearts, and so often does because we're open to it then. We're looking for it then. He can pull us to his rock, to his deliverance, and it may not be the deliverance we were looking for. It may not be what we had envisioned, but it's always what's best for us. It's always what's best for our faith in him. And as we testify that God is our rock and savior, even as we wait for the ways he will make us more like him, others can see and put their trust in him. You know, sometimes in, in the middle of a pandemic, I think it's fair to wonder why we should praise God. Does God deserve credit if he hasn't come through yet in our minds, perhaps we ask? 
Or isn't God a little bit needy that he's demanding this attention from us? Because we kind of have our own things to do other than praising a God who maybe we feel like we've waited on just a little bit too long. Admittedly, I believe that God deserves our praise, period. He is the highest source. He is the one who deserves it. But on the other hand, we also benefit from praising him too. And it's worth noting. Because why we testify about God's deliverance sometimes comes down to this. We testify about God in order to deepen our joy in God. We testify about God. We talk about him being our deliverer. We praise him with our life and with our attendance here this morning because it will deepen our joy in God. Joy is magnified by sharing it. To not being able to praise something you love and deeply enjoy ruins the thing you love and enjoy. To score a touchdown and not be able to celebrate afterwards takes away from the touchdown. I don't know if any of you watch whatever we might call live sports anymore, wherever they exist. I've been watching uh, LeBron. As I watch uh, him play basketball, what strikes me in this reopen is how weird it is to watch a sport where there's no spectators. There's no cheers. They pipe it in, but it's not real. You can tell it's not with the action And you hear the floor squeaking so much, right? And the players have no one to feed off of and interact to. And they score huge moments and game-winning points. And then they just kind of stand there. It's awkward to not be able to share joy with others. Because sharing joy deepens joy. I'm going to share this in grace but also in truth, as an Ohio native. The reason some of you heathens pay hundreds of dollars to go to a game at the big house to watch a team lose, (laughs) instead of at home where you can hide in your embarrassment on your TV, (laughs) the reason you do that is because you already believe this principle. Sharing and cheering on a game that you love and enjoy helps you appreciate that more doesn't it? We testify about God to deepen our own joy in God. We'll not be around after the service (laughs) for fear of my own life. We testify about God too in order to awaken faith in other people. That's why when you like a restaurant or you watch a show that you really enjoy or you listen to an artist that you really love, you tell someone else about it. You give them a favorable review on Yelp because you want them to, to find it, to discover it, to enjoy the season too, to listen to that song as well. You want to share that dish with them again one day. You share about the things you love because you want others to awaken their minds to it as well. Praise awakes praise. Faith awakens faith. And testifying about God awakens a love for God in the hearts and minds of other people. David experienced rescue by God who loved him and he had to tell other people. 
This is what God says to us. I'm healing you because I love you. Tell other people. I I am helping you because I love you. Tell other people. I am good. Other people should know about this. And our being together is a testimony. It testifies that God is our rock, that he is our deliverer, that he is doing this good work. And our assembly helps build that joy in us and others. Let's testify about God's deliverance. He's our rock. And up till now, the the psalmist has been talking about his God. But but he starts to shift to talk to his deliverer. He he goes on to say in verse 4, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who doesn't turn to the proud to go to those who go astray after a lie like idols. Here's that pivot. He talks to God. He says in verse 5, You, God, you've multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell them. I will testify. I will proclaim and tell them. Yet, there more than can be told. The writer, he... He says, I'm overwhelmed by your goodness, God. You've multiplied it over and over and over again to us. And I want to tell about it, but there's too much to say. And he gives us a template for how we can testify to God. We can testify that God multiplies his favor. Verses 9 through 11, which I read earlier, are ways he continues to testify to God's favor. He says, I've told The glad news of your deliverance, God, in the great congregation. Behold, I haven't restrained my lips, as you know. I I haven't hidden your deliverance within my heart. It's not just something personal that I've experienced. I have made it known. He says, I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I've not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. David talks to his God and says, you have been so good to me. Your mercy, I can't contain it. I can't understand it. Your love, your faithfulness, it's too much. I have to talk about it. We should testify that God multiplies his favor to us. And I know it's maybe in this season more than others, Simple to start to think, I don't know that I've experienced the kind of favor that this artist seems to have experienced. Maybe you know someone in your life, you're like, they really talk about God, and it really seems like they've experienced God's goodness. But frankly, if you look at my last 10 years of living, my lifetime of experiences, I'm not sure that I've experienced that amount of goodness. Maybe God's distant from me. Maybe I've done something that made him not like me as much. I understand that perception. But I think what we fail to consider in those moments is that God gave us more than we could need. Because God gave Jesus up for us. And the artist here, David, he's looking at his life at this point in history, and he's pointing to a lot that God has done. And we can benefit from that too, but we know even more than he knew. Sure, we'll start with what David knows at this point. He knows that God created. 
everything. He knows that God chose Abraham for no reason. He knows that God made a nation. He knows that he brought them across a sea out of danger in Egypt. He knows that he fed his people with manna and sustained them in the wilderness. David knew that he had made eternal covenants and promises to these people, and he was being faithful to those promises. David knew he had entrusted his commandments, his word to his people. David knew so many ways God had been good. But what he didn't know clearly yet, what he only had a promise about at that point, was something we know as history. That God then, at the right time, sent his son to give us the opportunity to have a new heart to see and understand and know God. So that when we know God had given Jesus for us, we can then fully see God's generosity multiplied. That there was no higher gift, no better life, no other good God could have given us higher or better than his son in our place for our sins. No career, no relationship, no experience in life, no end to a pandemic, no election result. There's nothing God could do better or more or other than what he did for us. Jesus is more than enough. That's multiplied favor to his people. Sometimes I think we haven't seen God's goodness to us because we haven't believed God's goodness to us in his son. Sometimes I think we don't understand God's multiplied favor to us because though we believed in God's son for us, in our place for our sins, we've started to believe in something else in the meantime. When Jesus becomes your life, you can't help but drown in the grace and goodness of God. And when we see that amount of goodness to us, we can't help but share it. To testify of a God who multiplies his favor. David talks about God's mercy, God's faithfulness to him. And we can't restrain or, or, or poison our testimony to God's love and faithfulness and mercy to us. Because he hasn't restrained his. God multiplies his favor on us and we can't help but multiply our testimony to his goodness. Anything less would be stealing affection and attention and praise away from the one who deserves it. I guess in that sense there's more ways to rob God than one. Sure, we can keep things from him that he deserves, whether that's our time or talents or our offerings of ways to fund his kingdom's work around the world. Sure, that you can keep things that ought to go towards his kingdom purposes. One of those ways that we often miss, I think, is we rob him by not giving him our testimony. Our words, our posts, our presence in the gathering of his people. In that sense, just not going to church can be a way of robbing God's glory and ascribing it to something we value in that moment more. Your presence here today, at a time where it's difficult to be here, admittedly, your participation in an online live experience, commenting and tuning in, I mean, that's proof that I think we, in this room, perhaps get it, but we all need to continue to get it, don't we? 
Far be it from us to miss the gathering of God's people too easily. To miss offering our voice as a testimony to God's goodness because of sports or travel or house projects or laziness or school work. We may think, hey, I'm mature, I know that, and it's not really my taste, and I'll be there soon, or I'll catch a podcast later. Those are all good things. But what we miss about that is when we're not here, we're not testifying to how important God is and how much he has multiplied his favor to us. When we're not willing, or we're at least not assembling to testify to God, what we're effectively doing is hiding and restraining and concealing God's faithfulness and love from the very people we've been called to be a family with, from the public and the world we're a part of. Say that knowing there's legitimate reasons to miss a service. It's not a legalistic ask, but it's a heart check for us all. Please remember that our testimony, our testifying of God's favor towards us is one of the biggest reasons to be here. Not just for our own benefit, but to shout with our presence and our voices and our actions to the people we are brothers and sisters with in the faith that God is good and they ought to say amen to that. So, we are a testimony to the goodness of God by being a part of this gathering, to his multiplied goodness to us. As church leaders, as a staff, as a team here at Woodside, we recognize the flip side of that call on our hearts. We have to be asking ourselves the questions from the opposite end. Are we creating a biblically accurate and faithful representation of the church gathering? One that inspires and motivates his people to testify to God's goodness and deliverance in their life? Or are we hosting something that somehow misses that mark, that distracts, that discourages, that tempts people away into being bored by their Savior, uninterested in proclaiming his goodness, uninterested in participating in God's work? That's an overwhelming thought. One that I know Pastor Rob and Pastor Chris and our church staff take seriously. I'm thankful both as a participant and a staff member, as a pastor, for the last bits of David's words in the Psalms. And And a task that can seem overwhelming, he shares in verse 12. Evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities, my sin has overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let Those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame. Who say to me, ah, ha, ha, ha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. As for me, I'm poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. 
You are my help and deliverer. Do not delay my God. David takes an untraditional turn here. After praising God, he turns to petition. So many of the Psalms, we see somebody petitioning God and then turning to praise. I love the way he recognizes that life isn't a series of victories after victories or strengths leading to strengths. We often go from a place of victory or confidence to doubt or loss or fear. And David shares in that journey, but he's confident that God will be faithful again. So he prays to God with all of us, may those who love your salvation say continually, keep us testifying, great is the Lord. I'd like to join the author in that cry. That in the highlands and the valleys alike in our life, God help me to continue to testify to your deliverance. Church, we can join him. We can pray that God would keep us testifying. Pray that God would keep us testifying. Because we don't follow God so that things go well for us. We follow him because things have already gone far better for us than we could have ever deserved or imagined at great cost. The life of Jesus Christ was offered in our place for our sin, and that's why we get to be here to even be aware that we can testify to God's deliverance. So let's assemble, church. Let's gather to testify to God of God, of his deliverance for us and his unlimited favor towards us. I know we've had to get creative in this past year and how to do that, how to testify, how to proclaim with our presence, our participation, our voice, our life, our actions of God's deliverance. The church has needed to do that many times throughout history. What hasn't changed is the object of the one we're testifying about. The testimony is the same. Great is the Lord. So may God always strengthen his church to continually shout, Great is the Lord by our presence in the gathering, our actions and our words towards each other and the world around us. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today.